Dana, and welcome to Behind the Lights with me, Seb. And me, Jono. As always, we pay respect to the traditional custodians of the lands where you're coming from, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. On to another busy sporting week and weekend, Jono, and it's football. And it was quarter-final time at the World Cup in Qatar, in Qatar and it certainly delivered. Uh, we will discuss, uh, obviously, all four games a little bit later on in the show, though. Women's Barclay Super League continued over in England over the weekend, and Manchester United and Manchester City drew 1-1 in the Manchester derby, while Arsenal defeated Aston Villa 4-1, and Chelsea remained top after defeating Reading 3-2. Also, a great shout-out to the fans of Manchester United and Manchester City, over 44,000 showing up at the Etihad to watch that women's derby there. As I said, Chelsea remained top, followed by Arsenal and Manchester United. The A-League men's returned as well. Round 7 here in Australia. Brisbane Roar and Adelaide United drew 1-1. Wellington and Western Sydney drew 1-1. Sydney FC upset Melbourne City 2-1. Perth Glory defeated Western United 2-1. Newcastle Jets defeated Central Coast 2-1 in the F3 derby, while Melbourne Victory defeated MacArthur 1-0, meaning Melbourne City still remained top, followed by Western Sydney and Adelaide United. The A-League women's also returned in Round 4. Canberra United defeated Wellington 3-0. Melbourne City defeated Newcastle Jets 5-1. Sydney defeated Brisbane 4-0. Adelaide United defeated Western Sydney 1-0, while Melbourne Victory defeated Perth Glory 3-0, meaning Melbourne City sit top, followed by Sydney and Western United. Also, a little bit of uh, off-field football news, Jono. Bayern Munich keeper Manuel Neuer has been ruled out for the remainder of the season after he's broke his leg in a skiing accident. Uh, Jono, Bayern Munich, I'm assuming, won't be too pleased with their uh, number one goalkeeper. No, that's uh, something that you don't hear of quite often because typically those players, you know, are kind of um, erred on the side of caution when they when they approach those kinds of things. But look, I think Neuer was just trying to forget the uh, World Cup for him playing for Germany and trying to go out and just enjoy some skiing with his family. Unfortunately, um, it resulted in a bit of an accident. So hopefully a speedy recovery for him. Um, but yeah, that's going to be a big setback there for Bayern Munich because look, Neuer is an incredible, incredible keeper. Um, still one of the best in the game. So huge setback for them in terms of their long-term goals for the season. Yeah, especially when it comes to the Champions League. Uh, cricket and Australia regained the Frank Worrell Trophy as they won the two-test series against the West Indies 2-0 after a crushing 419-run win in the second test in Adelaide. The West Indies were bowled out for 77 in their second innings with Mitchell Stark, Michael Nisa and Scott Boland all taking three wickets. Travis Head was named Man of the Match for his 175 in Australia's first innings, while Manas Labashe was named Man of the Series. The England vs. Pakistan series has continued in Pakistan in the second test, and Pakistan need 355 to win and level their three-match series against England. Uh, currently, they are sitting at 6 for 291 on day four, uh, needing, obviously, that 355 to win. So it's going to be a close finish there to see if Pakistan can level the series against England. Uh, the India women versus Australia women's uh, T20 series has also started in India. Uh, and India leveled the series at 1-1 after Australia made 1 for 187. Beth Mooney top scored with 82 not out. India made 5 for 187. Smriti Mandahana made 79. And then India won in a super over. India made 1 for 20, while Australia could only make 1 for 16. So that uh, series will head to a third game there, tied currently at 1-1. UFC 282 also was over the weekend. And Jan Blochwistis and Mahagad Ankalev's light heavyweight bout ended in a controversial draw, meaning the belt now 
continues to remain vacant, while Paddy Pimblin won his lightweight bout against Jared Gordon by decision, even though many pundits regarded, again, the result controversial. So a couple of big fights there and a couple of controversial results coming out of UFC 282. Basketball, gentlemen, NBA, Boston continuing their great start to the season, leading still in the East, while we have a new leader in the West, Zion, and his New Orleans Pelicans flying at the moment. Yeah, I mean, the Pelicans are really, I think, the team to be looking at right now. They beat the Phoenix Suns twice in the last week as well. Suns as well, I don't know if they're in a really good form right now. They lost to Boston, um, trailing by 40 points there in one of the, in, in, at some point in the game. But yeah, the Pelicans right now are just looking like a really good good team at the moment. Look, I think even last year they had quite a good team. Um, just a good core group of players who you know all play for each other. And I think this year as well, bringing back Zion, I think he's actually starting to hit his stride right now. He drives into the basket like no other. If he can just get his shooting to be a bit more consistent, where he can just pull up from anywhere as well, I think he'll just be an unstoppable force because right now, when he hit, when he puts his head down and drives to the basket, there is no stopping him. So um, it's been an incredible run for them. And I actually really do hope that they can keep this up. I think it'd be great to see him in particular as well as this New Orleans Pelicans team to really just keep continuing to the top of the West and if not, the top of the NBA. Yeah, I guess the key for Zion and the Pelicans is keeping him on the court and obviously keeping him fixed. We've obviously seen the last couple of seasons he struggled to... Uh, to have a significant say in the season. NBL also continued over the weekend. The Cairns Taipans defeated the Wollongong Hawks 102-101 in overtime, while Melbourne United defeated the Brisbane Bullets 104-88. SEM Phoenix defeated the Adelaide 36s 102-84, while the Tasmania Jack Jumpers had a good win over the Sydney Kings 84-76, meaning the Kings remain top, followed by the New Zealand Breakers and SEM Phoenix. Jono, NFL Week 14 and some uh, significant results to come out of the round. The LA Rams defeated the Raiders 17-16. The Bills defeated the Jets 20-12. The Cowboys continued their great season 27-23 over the Texans. While the Eagles destroyed the Giants 48-22. And the Chiefs defeated the Broncos 34-28. What stood out for you uh, Week 14 of the NFL? Yeah, look, I think the the big thing for me is, is seeing the First off, the Chiefs kind of bouncing back, which I think is fantastic. The Bills as well getting another win. They're on four, four now on the trot, which I think is good heading into these later weeks. As well as in particular, San Francisco too. I mean, they're now winning six games in a row. I think that really says something to them. I think at the start of the season, they quite struggled a little bit, um, but they've definitely hit a little bit of a stride just demolishing um, Tom Brady and his Buccaneers 35-7. So I think that they're hitting their stride when they need to heading into these last couple weeks here. Um, but again, it's going to be just consistently, I think it's really going to come down to who's going to be in better form between the Bills and the Chiefs in particular. And then, of course, could be Dallas or it could be the Eagles as well as kind of the top four frontrunners at this point right now. Well, as we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, it was World Cup quarterfinal time over the weekend. And Jono, all four games certainly delivered. Uh, all four a little bit different in terms of the way they played out, but uh, we had upsets uh, we had some great goals and obviously plenty of tension. We'll start with the first game, Croatia versus Brazil. And I guess a major upset here, Croatia defeating Brazil 4-2 on penalties after the game ended 1-1. Uh, I guess looking at the game, John, we thought when Brazil went 1-0 up in extra time with that magic goal from Neymar, lovely little interplay and finish uh, by Neymar, we thought Brazil would hold on and, and see that game, game out. But with Croatia's only shot on goal, Bruno Pekovic equalized three minutes uh, oh, into extra time, in the second half of extra time there to draw Croatia level. And then obviously Croatian goalkeeper Livakovic, who was immense during regular time, 
uh, in extra time, then came up big in the penalty shootout. But uh, Jono, what a major upset this was. Brazil were most people's favorite to uh, to win the World Cup this year. Yeah, look, I mean, they were my favorite as well um, to go into the tournament just looking at the best team. And, you know, I definitely thought that they were the best team. Um, I think on the day, yeah, they just they just weren't able to get past that Croatian goalkeeper backline of Croatia as well. They were compact, they were organized. That midfield as well, I think, was the big difference here in terms of just in terms of how the game was actually played out. It wasn't necessarily the free flown Brazil as much as we thought it would be. I think that Modric in that led that midfield perfectly. He was everywhere on that pitch. There was times he was dropping deep in the back line and then all of a sudden up top, you know, with that forward line as well. He was in every single spot. And look, when Neymar scored that incredible goal, you did think, oh wow, okay, they finally broke through. That was an incredible, incredible goal by Neymar. You saw what it meant for him. But I do just think it was just pure stupidity almost by a lot of those players to just not hold on to the lead. And they wanted to keep pushing to try and get another goal for some reason. You have three, four minutes left. You know, in those situations, you got to just sit back. Brazil's great at time-wasting, things like that, keeping the ball. That's what they needed to do. And unfortunately, they didn't do that. They got countered. And as you said, the only opportunity really that Croatia had all game, they were able to capitalize on that. And then that just translated going into... Um, into penalties and everything as well. I mean, it just it was a pure translation, but um, yeah, incredible scenes and incredible to see Brazil crash out in, in another way in 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 this kind of fashion again and just heartbreak. It wasn't, you know, again, it's not that it's a classic match against another top team that you expect. Oh, okay, maybe they'll lose this. This was theirs for the taking, and um, quite frankly, it just didn't do enough. You made a couple of good points there, John. I agree. Once Brazil did go one nil up uh, in extra time, I thought. This is the time. See the game out. Um, no need to push. Make everything compact. I'm surprised, actually, that Neymar stayed on the whole time. I, I think mm. I would have taken him off and maybe put a Fabinho on there just to, to strengthen that midfield and hold it up because by the end of the game, Neymar was was out of legs uh, anyway, and he wasn't really adding anything uh, to the game. And obviously, as you said, it, that was the time that Brazil needed just to see the game out and use their experience. They got enough experienced players in that squad that they should have been able to see it out. But then credit to Croatia, they uh, they looked to press Brazil early on in the game, and, and obviously they did retreat as the game went on. But the thing about Croatia, Jono, when you can criticise the way they played, and yes, they're probably not the the best team to watch in terms of on the eye there, especially when you compare it to the Brazilians and the way they, they do play their football. But Croatia, they never give in, and you just always thought that one chance was going to come their way, and if they took it, then you, who knows? And, and they yeah. took it, and... As you said, that experience of Luka Modric and in the midfield, his immense work rate at the age of 37 is quite uh, astounding. Um, and as you said, huge disappointment here for Brazil. They were heavily backed to, to win the World Cup. They thought they had the squad. It was a pretty complete squad, plenty of depth and, and plenty of quality in, in all positions. But uh, again, John, they, they, they paid dearly for not, you know, not seeing Croatia off and not crushing them when they held the opportunity. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was, it was it's because of Brazil that Brazil are out right now. You know, they did it to themselves. They needed to take opportunities when they had it. They should have played in a, in a more free-flowing way that you typically see of the Brazilian team. There was times for certain players to just finish things off. And again, I think that some players should have stepped up in the midfield as well. This is when you need that quality. This is when you have quality all along the pitch. You really need to step up. But 
overall, it was just that lingering moment of Croatia could potentially nick something, and then they did. And then again, when it comes down, when you even look at what happened in terms of penalties and everything, it's always that question mark of leaving your best penalty taker to last as well. Is that a good call? Should that have happened? Should Neymar have been left for the fifth penalty? Yes, sometimes that's the one who has the glory. But in a situation where you're already down, you need to make sure you make the next penalty for your keeper to then have a chance to save it. Should you have switched something up? I mean, that's, I think, where real managerial and coaching and everything comes into play is that you need to, okay, hey, yep, actually we need to switch this up when you're in that kind of situation. So realistically, when you when you look at what happened on the day, it all points back to, unfortunately, Brazil really losing this game for themselves. Yeah, I thought Tita, I do rate him as, as a coach, and I thought he has done a really good job with his Brazilian team without winning, I guess, a World Cup with them, and, and he did step down after the loss. He was going to leave the team regardless if they went, did win the World Cup or obviously get knocked out early, so there will be a change uh, with the Brazilian coaching, and we need to see who takes that job. But um, I agree, I thought, especially when Rodrigo missed that early penalty in the shootout, maybe they could have shuffled it up and obviously brought Neymar on a little bit early because you want your best penalty takers obviously taking a penalty. So I thought that was a little bit odd and a little bit naive by the Brazilian team. But congratulations, Croatia. They made the last World Cup final. They're through to another semi-final. It's quite amazing for a population, a country with a population of about 4 million people. The success they've had, especially in the last 20 years at World Cup level, is is, you have to applaud them and um, we'll see how they get on in the semi-finals. Well, John, if we thought that was tension and, and obviously a huge upset... Then we went to Argentina versus the Netherlands, in in which a game that probably for the first half an hour, it was quite tight, quite tense, a real tactical battle. And then it got opened up by uh, Molino, the right back for Argentina, getting inside a beautiful pass by Messi, a little no-look pass that slid through that uh, Dutch defense for him to slot home, and it really opened the game up. Argentina went 2-0 up with about 15 minutes to go, a Messi penalty, and you thought, game over. And then what... What an action-packed last seven minutes plus injury time. Uh, the Dutch brought on Wart Weghorst. He's best known for Burnley. Uh, big striker. They went direct. Uh, and Weghorst scored a great header in the 83rd minute. And in the 90 plus 11 minutes, so 101st minute, uh, the Dutch came up with the most inventive free-kick routine I think you'll ever see at that point of a game to score and equalize. Weghorst getting his second. It went 2-2. Um, went to penalty shootout, and Argentina held their nerve to defeat the Dutch 4-3 on penalties. Jono, what did you make of this game? A contest that I think had a bit of everything. wasn't always the most prettiest football at times, but in terms of tension, in terms of passion, um, and in terms of, I guess, everything that we love about football, fight backs, late goals, it had a bit of everything. Yeah, I mean, when you look back at this game, I think it was just a fantastic game in terms of what it, what it gave. Um, firstly, that assist that Messi had for that first goal for Argentina was absolutely incredible Um, the things he's able to do he just reminds us of in this World Cup he's just reminded why he is regarded as one of the best of all times and then look he stepped up and took a penalty as well and scored that I think for him personally that's really big for him and also scored a great penalty in the penalty shootout very calm exactly considering that he has missed a few already in this World Cup I think that's big for him but what a, what a story of just never counting another team out. I mean, the, the comeback to get to, to take it to extra time um, from Denmark, uh, from Netherlands, sorry, was absolutely incredible. And to draw up that last free kick, the guts that you have. Have you ever seen anything like that? That is just absolutely incredible. This, that was the last kick of the game. You knew that. 
So instead of just trying to strike it, you're on top of the box and just hit it with all power and pace and everything. No, you decide to put in the most cheeky free kick possible and just, just it works. And it's crazy that that works. In the situation that is, you have a chance to go into the semis for that, you know? And it works. So fantastic for them. And then look, I think an extra time, I think the Dutch actually had a little bit of an advantage going into it, but I actually think they took their foot off the gas a little bit too. So they had an opportunity, I think, in that first extra time, that first half of extra time, that they could have stamped their authority, they could have rode the momentum a little bit. But unfortunately, they didn't do that. Look, Argentina had its chances as well. Especially but that it, second half of, of yeah. extra time. They hit the post, they, had, yep. they got close a couple of times, a couple of deflections which, uh, which just went over and wide. Yeah, and I think overall, look, yes, they won in penalties and everything, but Argentina did show a couple things. They showed, yes, they can be brilliant at times, but they did also show that they are very susceptible at times. I think we've seen that throughout with Argentina. Um, I also think that, you know, I don't think the Dutch necessarily had the midfield that was so dominant that it's going to compare to Croatia, but I do think as well that, you know, um, Argentina is going to have to really think about that midfield presence and really bolster that a little bit as well. Um, but if Messi keeps performing the way that he is as well, I mean, this Argentina team, as much as, you know, you say, oh, they rely too much on Messi, I mean, the brilliant play that he does is just absolutely incredible. So you, why wouldn't you rely on a guy like that? It's absolutely incredible the things that he's doing. And look, I'm glad that they've moved on to the semifinals as well because he rightfully deserves it. Yeah, exactly. I think, as you said, this Argentinian team seems to, at the moment, just be waiting on Messi and he seems a direct when that momentum picks up for this team. And as you said, I mean, he's that good a player that, that he can be winning games pretty much single-handedly with, without too much other help because this Argentinian team, I think, on paper is still... It's not the greatest Argentinian team we've ever seen, but with a player like Messi in it, you've got a chance in any game. I thought the Dutch, amazingly, that, that beautiful football that we associate with the Dutch, that wasn't the reason they got back into this game. In the end, it turned into no. a long ball... Uh, slog and, and they sort of got a couple of goals. Obviously, we saw that great free kick, but um, that's how the way I guess the Dutch went into their they they sort of that's how they got back into the game as as I said because I thought their front players, especially their pie and, and Gakpo, couldn't quite get into the game as much uh, in this one. And I also thought the Argentinians did a really good def- uh, job on their wing back. So Denzel Dumfries, we saw him get sent off yeah. late in the game. We saw a flourish of yellow cards. Uh, got a bit of tight tense between the teams. Um, but he couldn't get into the game as much yeah. this time. He also gave away a penalty for that, that second Argentinian goal. So credit to Argentina and Scaloni for, for pushing those fullbacks back because we saw how dangerous they mm. were um, against the United States. Also, Louis van Gaal will step down as Dutch manager. Again, this was decided before the World Cup. And, and Ronald Koeman is yeah. going to step back into the uh, the Dutch fold. We saw how that didn't end quite well at uh, Barcelona. So it'll be interesting to see how Ronald Koeman uh, does with this Dutch team. But... A great World Cup game, a bit of everything. As I said, not the best football we've ever seen, but in terms of tension, in terms of um, just thrills and, and sort of late goals and, and drama, um, it had a bit of everything between Argentina and the Netherlands. Well, moving on, John, the third game was Morocco versus Portugal. I guess everyone wanted to see, could Morocco continue the dream and the run that had seen them to this point? And, mate, they did it, and... To be fair to them, they deserved the victory. They did a really good job on Portugal. A Yusuf N. Naziri 42nd minute strike was enough. Uh, and Portugal, Jonah, very disappointing in this game. We saw what they did against the Swiss. Now they destroyed the Swiss in the round of 16, but they just couldn't replicate that form. And, and I guess 
that form of real quick playing and, and sort of getting through the lines. They struggled um, against a very disciplined Moroccan team. Yeah, I mean, I think that was, was the difference here is that Morocco was just so disciplined, so held their shape in that back line in particular, that midfield as well just held tight and waited for their moments. Um, I do think as well that from a Portugal perspective, yeah, we didn't see that free-flowing Portugal. I thought way, way too much. You even saw Bruno Fernandes going so deep to receive the ball. Bernardo Silva as well is just sitting so, so deep. When realistically they were sitting deep, getting the ball, just trying to move it side to side and like another cross and sitting deep, getting the ball, moving it side to side, another cross and again and again and again. It gets to a point as well where, you know, for Morocco, it just became routine as well. They just cleared the ball. That's that. Let's go for another one. That's fine. Whereas if you're Portugal, you need to start chaining it up. You need to get back into those ways. And they seem to forget about the success that they just had a couple days ago. And just got back into this this unordinary Portugal team that sometimes we see. It's that hit or miss with Portugal. You either have a fantastic result or you have something like this. So it was really, you know, great effort from Morocco in terms of just its ability to stand strong and understand their what what makes them so great right now, what's making their run so great as well, is the ability to not concede goals, you know? Well, no and, one is yet to score against them at this World Cup, which is quite amazing. It's fantastic. And, and yeah, and for Portugal... It was the lack of creativity. It was the lack of runs. It was the lack of movement in particular up top. It was just just a very ordinary performance. And yes, you know what? The goal a little bit was, I think, as well for Morocco, a bit of a keeper mistake as well. Great um, leap, though. Great leap. Don't get me wrong. But I do think, you know, unfortunately, it was a bit of a keeper mistake. Um, and that was, unfortunately, the most costly mistake of the game. Whereas on the other side, the Moroccan keeper had an absolute great game. Um, and again, everybody in that back line really need to tip your hat to that because they played absolutely fantastic. But it definitely was on Portugal to lose this game. Yeah, Morocco become the first African team uh, to make the World Cup semi-final. So I guess great for world football, Jono, to see um, a little bit of the European dominance, uh, I guess, being pushed back here and, and seeing, and I guess, a different continent making the semi-final. So I guess great for world football. Um, and could this be Cristiano Ronaldo's final international appearance? Uh, we most likely think it's definitely going to be his final World Cup appearance. But do you think he'll hang out the boots internationally? We saw him in tears down the down the tunnel after the game. Um, how do you think that will play out? Yeah, it's going to be um, an interesting one because I think for him as well. I mean, look, this last six months or so has just been a roller coaster for him. As much as you want to say, you know, he brought some of it on himself. It's clearly a guy who's really grappling and and not understanding how to cope with the fact that he has slowed down on the field. You know, he's somebody who's been the best of the best for so, so long. And credit to him for his longevity. But he has hit that point where he needs to kind of take a step back. And it would be so mentally challenging to be able to recognize that. I think we saw in this game, this this game in, in particular against Morocco, I feel like he almost accepted it a little bit. So it's really going to come down to if he accepts that position of coming off the bench, of being the leader from the bench, you know, is that going to be okay for him? I think it's going to be a mental dilemma for him to be able to really understand that that's where he's at now. If he does understand that, then yes, 100%, I think we'll see him again. At least he'll try and extend it and get at least the Euros. If not, he'll be like a you know the equivalent of Danny Alves at the next World Cup or something where he's just there more for a locker room presence and everything. But he needs to really understand where he's at now and again it would be so difficult nobody really understands where he's at mentally because no one's on that level of what he's been able to play at so it's going to be such a mental battle for him so this this next few months I think is really key as to what direction his rest of his career goes and what actually he what happens with Cristiano Ronaldo 
yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. He's always said he wants to play into his 40s. So uh, I guess we'll see what happens with his club football first. And then obviously the international football may follow from that. The last quarterfinal, John, and probably the biggest quarterfinal in terms of the two countries contesting it, France versus England. Uh, and France, just did enough, edged out England 2-1. I actually thought England, they didn't play badly in this game. I think there were a few decisions that, that probably, um, looking back, could have could have been made differently. Um, I thought, actually, England came at the French in that second half, but they couldn't put them away when they had the French down. Uh, I thought Antoine Griezmann was masterful in the midfield for the French, especially in that first half, just controlling. And the way he's able to find space and little pockets and um, just his... His creativity, as well as uh, the way he can move into space, I thought um, was really good. And it was actually a game that Kylian Mbappe wasn't as involved. I thought Kyle Walker actually did a great job on Mbappe in terms of his involvement. Um, but, John, I guess a couple of big moments in this game. Um, the Harry Kane missed penalty in the second half where he blazed it over top after he scored uh, a penalty a little bit earlier to draw England level. And also that French first goal, was it a foul on Saka in the build-up? Great strike by Tukamani, uh, but was it a, a, do you think it was a foul on Saka uh, in the build-up to that goal? Yeah, it's a tough one. But um, look, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the decision of letting it kind of play out. And um, yeah, it was a fantastic strike. But yeah, definitely some controversy as well. There's some other key moments as well that could have been a penalty, could have been a foul as well. So definitely um, a bit controversial in terms of when you look at the overall calls that happened. Um but it was one of those games that just, uh, you know, look, England did did play quite well. And it came down to the key moments, you know. I think that for Harry Kane, taking that second penalty, that would be just so difficult. Because, you know what, you're going against, your you know, your teammate. It's You have England, that pressure on the line as well. You already took one in the game. So now you're really thinking, okay, what am I going to do? You know Hugo Lloris knows my, me from practice and everything. So i got to try and do something different. And look, it, it was just trying to hit it straight down the middle, but he just went way too powerful, leant back a little bit, and it just skyrocketed over. So really, really tough for him to be able to step up and, and do that and take on that pressure. But I do also think that in terms of France, for a lot of times, and credit to England, it did seem like that they were in second gear in terms of that, but I don't think it was because they were in second gear. I think it was credit a lot to England for being able to lock them in. We didn't see that France team, you know, Mbappe or you know even Dembele running running rapid or anything like that. I thought Griezmann, yeah, did have an incredible game. Um, was probably their best player overall in the day. But yeah, it's it's big credit to England. Unfortunately, another crash out by England in the in the sense of um, early early crash out not playing to the potential. But um, yeah, in the end, it just came to some crucial uh, mistakes really that then led to France being able to take advantage of it. Yeah, a couple of numbers to come out of the game. Uh, Harry Kane has now tied with Wayne Rooney as the all-time leading English goal scorer with 53 goals, while Olivier Giroud took his tally to 53. And as we know, he has taken over Thierry Henry in this uh, World Cup as the leading French uh, scorer of all time. In terms of some of the substitutions, John, I thought Gareth Southgate possibly got some of those wrong at the end. Why we why he brought on Raheem Sterling with about 20 minutes to go when he hasn't been part of the last couple of games due to obviously having to fly yeah. back to England because of family domestic issues. Um, and I thought bringing on Jack Grealish with three minutes to go was a bit of a pointless 
substitution I thought he could have been brought on a lot earlier. Um, we know he can dribble at players and, and attract fouls. And if there's a weakness of this French team, it is that along that back line. We know how good a player Tio Hernandez is on that left going forward, but uh, he was the one that gave that second penalty away with that yeah. blatant push into Mason Mount. But we know that that French team can be got at. And I just think a player like a Jack Grealish really could have extracted that. I don't know how. And Raheem Sterling, we know, hasn't been in the greatest form either. Yeah, it's it's when you really look at this whole England's World Cup run or even England as a whole as a team in the most recent years and you look at Southgate's decisions, um, it always comes back to the crux of it is his starting lineups, who he actually plays on the day, um, his substitutions. You know, it all goes back to that. And I think in this game as well, I would agree. I think that Sterling shouldn't have come on. I think that if anything, your first sub should have been Rashford. It should have been Grealish. Those should have been your first two on. And then possibly I was also Mount surprised well. Saka was taken off. I don't know if that was an injury, but I yeah. thought he was actually England's best player yeah. in terms of in terms of direct play in those forward players. So whether or not there's an injury, we, we don't know. Yeah. Uh, but I was surprised to see him come off as well. Yeah, again, very, very interesting, interesting um, choices there. Look, he had it right in terms of, I think, the starting lineup. I think he did that very, very correct, and they played fantastic, realistically, most of the game. But yeah, it came down to those key moments. And again, bringing on a player like Draculish with the minutes counting down, you're almost just hurting yourself at that point, making a sub with that, you know, with with, with little time left onto the, on the clock. So um, the lack of usage for Jack Grealish in this England team overall over the years, I think, is absolutely incredible because he just offers something so different from the rest of the players on that lineup and really can just cause havoc. And when you need a goal, it's not about him necessarily scoring that goal, but he draws fouls. He makes different runs. He controls the ball. He can really start dictating the tempo. So you should have brought him on earlier, but really, overall, just yeah, another disappointment, unfortunately, for England and the English fans. As you said, it came down to those little moments and England couldn't take advantage of those moments and the French couldn't. Um, that second goal, especially a great ball in by Griezmann, I think how Olivier Giroud was left free though in, in the penalty box was uh, obviously the, the centre-backs. They need to sort that out. Um, but again, the French move on and um, are now in a position to, to defend, uh, potentially defend their World Cup title from 2018. Looking just quickly at Gareth Southgate, Jono, do you think it's the right time for him now to step away and, and someone new to come in um, to this English fold? Look, I personally do. Um, I think that, you know, as, as great as he's done as an overall manager to get them almost back up in contention of always saying, yeah, they could they can win, you know, great Euros run and everything. But I think that, you know, you just at this point, he's a bit stagnant in terms of, as I said, what he does with the players, what he does with the team. And clearly they need something else right now. So maybe it is a bit of a freshness. It's hard with international football, regardless of how great you are as a manager, because you just don't have that ownership over the players. So I do think that right now would be potentially a really good time to get that fresh perspective while you have this really good young core right now to work with. I agree. I think it it could be the right time for Gareth Southgate to step away. The key, though, for England, though, is if that does happen, make sure they get the right man uh, into the fold. Yeah. Because, as you said, there is some really good young talent. And 2026 could potentially see some of that talent really be at their yep. peak. And we never know what England England could do. So that sets up the semifinals, Jono. Argentina versus Croatia and France versus Morocco. We'll get a couple of tips a little bit later on in the show. But before we get to our... Quick questions, Jono. A little bit of sad news from the World Cup. American football journalist Grant Wall tragically passed away after collapsing during the Argentina versus Netherlands match. 
Wild was only 49 and had covered football for more than two decades, including 11 World Cups, six men and five women. Uh, Wall was also a strong advocate for the LGBTQ community and prominent voice for women's football. Um, he also did cover the story for Sports Illustrated on LeBron James while he was in high school. So, Jono, a really sad loss for both world football and especially American football. I know how much Wall was a, such a voice uh, for American football and um, he really had a lot of integrity in the way he covered the game and covered issues surrounding the game. And we can see that from, from obviously all the messages uh, that have flown in since his uh, tragic passing. Yeah, I mean, as you said, I mean, I think, you know, Grant was a, a fantastic journalist and also just a fantastic voice for football in, in America or even just a voice of reason as well, a voice for basic human rights, for um, the, you know, different various communities of what football brought to. Um, you know, he, he didn't stand for, for any hatred or anything like that. He stood for the right for people to have their own opinions and be able to live life the way that they want to. Um, he was also just an ex- exceptional um, player uh, person in terms of um, really supporting in particular the women's game as well. Um, he really supported those efforts and I think he really helped grow soccer in America. Um, really helped bolster that from a pers- media perspective as well. So definitely saddened by this news. Um, I know the whole community there in the United States and across the world really was shocked to to hear this. Um, so definitely saddened by this, and our thoughts are definitely with um, his friends and family. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what comes out in regards to the reason behind his death. It apparently was feeling a little bit unwell a couple of days earlier. So um, as I said, our, our thoughts are with, with his family and uh, a really tragic loss for, for football and, and journalism, especially in America. Well, John, we'll go to our five quick questions now and um, we'll both again answer these World Cup based uh, of course in this time Uh, and with number one who wins Argentina versus Croatia well um, just because I know who you're going to go for I think I'll just go against you on this one Um, I think that maybe we'll see another brilliant performance by Luka Modric and um, Croatia's midfield will just outclass uh, Argentina so I will uh, tip uh, Croatia I'm going to go Argentina. I've had them since the start of this World Cup. So um, the messy dream continues at least for one more game. So Argentina defeats Croatia. Number two, who wins? France versus Morocco. Does the fairy tale uh, keep alive for Morocco and African football? Yeah, look, um, I think this is a situation when it comes down to your depth of your squad. And I, I, as much as Morocco has had a crazy run, already playing with a lot of subs that they probably didn't think they'd be playing so much with, they picked up a couple more injuries in that game, and I think the end, the run might might end with this. I'm going to tip France to take it on. I agree, John. I think France will win this. They've shown already in this tournament they don't have to be playing at their best to win, yeah. um, and the ability for them to take the moments when they present themselves, I think, is just going to prove a little bit too good for Morocco. Number three, will we see Neymar at the next World Cup? Yeah, look, he was uh, pretty emotional and has kind of voiced that maybe he doesn't want to continue on in terms of you know representing another World Cup. But I, I, I have to say that he's he, he's 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 somebody who I think is going to have that fire in his stomach and he's going to want to play one more. So I'm going to have to say yes. I'll, I really want to see him at least one more because he has really been incredible for Brazil. You know, he has a lack of success in terms of winning the World Cup, but I think he really has been great for Brazil. So I'd love to see him at one more. Well, he's, he's equaled Pele in terms of um, the amount of most goals for Brazil, so we can see what he's done for the national team. I agree. I hope that to see him in 2026. He'll be 34, so 
that could possibly be the swan song for Neymar. Number four, who was the biggest disappointment of the teams who lost in the quarterfinals? Yeah, look, I think it, it does have to be Brazil um, when you look at it in terms of the just how much they were as in terms of favorites to actually win the whole thing. Um, so it does have to be Brazil, although I would put Portugal essentially there as probably second, a very close second, um, because I was quite disappointed to, to lose to Moroccan team, considering most would have them easily glass over that at, the, at, at face value. I'm not going to go England, just in regards to I thought in terms of they had the best opportunity to beat that French team. Mm. A French team with we know how many injuries they've got and their inability to take the moments when they counted. We thought maybe that English team had taken that next step to be able to do that. Obviously, not quite yet. So I guess a little bit disappointing that the English, um, it was there in front of them yeah. and they couldn't quite grasp it. And last one, Jono, there's a little, been a little bit of criticism coming out around the Argentinians and the way they celebrated the win against the Dutch. We know there was plenty of chat before the game from Van Gaal and uh, some of the Dutch players. Do you think the Argentinians should be criticised for this or do you, think, do you like seeing a little bit of niggle um, and obviously passion uh, in the game such as the Argentinians showed? I absolutely love the fight and fury and everything about that game. I love the after, the during, Van Dijk running over and charging at a player, the benches getting up, afterwards the chat continuing, Messi being interviewed, telling people to shut up. I absolutely love that. I think that's all part of it. So continue on, Argentina. I think it's fantastic. And I think if you're the Dutch, if you're going to talk, you better win the game. Because if you don't win, then the Argentinians, whoever you're versing, has every right to uh, come back at you and... uh, give you a little bit as well so great to see well that brings the end another episode of behind the lights with me seb and me jana as always thank you for your support and good night